Surveys of a riverbed in a remote part of northern Australia and the accounts from a ship's crew written in the 1830s could be the key to unlocking a great maritime mystery. Two large anchors were abandoned by the crew of the British scientific ship The Beagle nearly 185 years ago in the vast Victoria River in the Territory and they've remained there ever since. The Beagle, of course, is the ship that took naturalist Charles Darwin around much of the world uh, researching what became the origin of the species on the origin of species. And there's a big push underway now to find those missing anchors and tell the story of that incredible ship and its crew. John Canaris is an exploration geologist who's leading the expedition. Welcome to Saturday Extra, John. Thanks very much, Geraldine. Take us back, please, to this journey by the Beagle and its crew, back to 1839. What were they doing in Northern Australia? What were they looking for? Geraldine, it was a hydrographic expedition. So it was an admiralty expedition to basically fill in the charts. So a lot of the work that they were doing was filling in from uh, Parker King's previous expeditions 20, 25 years earlier. And there were vast areas of the coast that were uncharted and completely unknown. There was the notion at the time that there could be an inland waterway. And so the search was on to find big rivers that could enter the interior of the continent and expose whatever benefits were there. And by this time, Charles Darwin was back home in Kent. Uh, he, He wasn't with the crew, was he? That's right. He was writing up his notes uh, from the Galapagos and uh, developing his theory, of course, and uh, doing work on worms, as I understand. He was very interested in worms and geology as well. And remembered fondly by the crew, was he? Yeah, he was. And it's really brought out uh, when you're reading from the logs uh, from the Beagle that they, they had a very deep fondness for Charles Darwin. He had some great friends on board. Why is finding these anchors so important to you? Well, They are the last remaining fragments of the ship. So after the um, expeditions were completed, it was not a particularly important or special ship. It was used as a navigational aid for a while on the Thames and then just left to rot away. So, uh, you know, Darwin's theory didn't become important until many years later. So uh, um, the ship is gone. There are no remaining fragments. And so this is it. And the other thing that makes it really interesting is that the loss of the anchors was was unusual. It was a mystery at the time and it was meticulously recorded. And it's very unusual to have a maritime archaeological object uh, with the matching narrative on exactly how it was lost and where it was lost. The other thing is, of course, that uh, the Beagle has a special place in the uh, discovery and the charting of the coast of the Northern Territory and for the people of Darwin. Um, Look, maybe you could share with listeners what this country is like that you're describing that uh, the Beagle was at in in the Northern Territory, exploring this Victoria River, because not too many people outside of the Territory might have an idea of how powerful this river is and what a feat it is to navigate. Yeah, well, the Victoria River is vast. It uh, extends for over 400 kilometres inland. And uh, it it is right on the border between Western Australia and the Northern Territory, incredibly remote. It's the East Kimberley and probably the least explored area in Australia. It took us around 24 hours to get there from Darwin, uh, navigating through uh, islands and channels around the mouth. The mouth of the river is five kilometres wide. My goodness. And and the river is two kilometres wide for most of its length. 
And is and, it one um, of those rivers that only runs in the uh, the wet and and is dry, uh, huge in the dry? It's a tidal river for several hundred kilometres inland. Uh, so it's uh, salty and brackish water, and it's 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 uncharted. So we actually the most detailed navigational soundings are from the Beagle. So we were using the Beagle charts to navigate up the river. Very very dangerous, extreme currents, and uh, you can get a standing wave on the river if the current and the tide are, are flowing in opposite directions. Why are the currents like this? You've got an eight metre metre tidal range in the Northern Territory, and when you have a confined body of water like that, they run like crazy. And you can get a five or six knot current in that river. So how big was your craft, by the way? We, we travelled upstream on a 65-foot uh, island explorer. Uh, sounds a bit small for what you were dealing with, actually. I mean, it must have been uh, yeah. a bit of character building. It, everything seems small when you're on that river. And, you know, you can imagine travelling uh, in the middle of the river with a five or two kilometre width. You can barely see the shore on either side. But we sounded that river at over 50 metres deep in uh, in some places. It's really quite extraordinary. So you were using the Beagle logs. Um, you must have felt sometimes you were almost speaking to the crew. And, and they, are, they are still the only existing logs of that river. Is that right? Exactly, yeah. The, the navigational soundings that were made by Beagle 180 years ago have been used in the modern charts for that river. Um, so it's still the most detailed work around. So, yeah, we relied on those soundings for navigating upstream. And it, it um, came to be stuck, didn't it? it? It got stuck. Why was that so? And why did they then abandon those two anchors? Yeah, exactly. So the, um, the ship anchored at a place for around a month while they continued in smaller boats upstream. And uh, they spent their time collecting animals and making notes and recording everything they could see. And after they'd spent that time there, they went to recover the anchors and they were they were absolutely completely stuck in the substrate. And they spent days trying to recover the anchors uh, to the point where the ship was, uh, the bow of the ship was being broken. So they had to cut them loose with a lot of chain and other bits and pieces and leave them there. Luckily, they made a, um, a map from the deck of the boat at the place where the, the anchors were lost. And we were lucky enough to get a copy of that map. And uh, that was, of course, very useful. In, this, um, is this the spot a, that the crew named... Is, sorry to interrupt you. Is this the spot the crew named Hold Fast Reach? Yes, exactly. It's a quite evocative, isn't it? It really is. And uh, uh, they recorded that place um, in a lot of detail in the logs. There's a lot of, lot of detail in the stories from that particular place. The other thing they did was they set up a camp on shore and um, dug a couple of wells. We, we managed to find that exact location, but the wells are gone. But we did run a detector around and found musket balls and uh, copper nails and, and things that are likely from that expedition. Yeah. Um, look, this was an exploration and it was a scientific journey, but of course it was also another step in the colonisation of Australia. What did these men imagine would come from their expedition? It's been very interesting reading through the logs and, um, you know, they they record uh, notes around thoughts of the future, imagining a future with houses lining the river and they even talk about, um, you know, the fireplaces in these homes and the uh, smoke spiralling from the chimneys 
really quite an English uh, sort of notion the banks of, of the Thames. colonization. Yeah, yeah, and they proudly named the river uh, Victoria River after Queen Victoria, the young queen. So they imagined that this huge waterway would be a site of commerce and trade in the future. None of which happened, of course. Uh, all of that attention went to uh, the Port of Darwin, uh, which they also really liked and named that place after Charles Darwin and named, named a lot of the features after the crew mm. around Darwin Harbour. But, yeah, they, they imagined that it would be developed in the future and, and they, they wondered about that. What contact did they have with Indigenous peoples? Do we know anything about that? Yeah, they did. They did um, record a couple of really intriguing uh, contacts with Aboriginal people. What really springs out of the logs is the kind of fascination and admiration they had for those people. Um, so there's there's some notes in the logs that were written with great sensitivity and, and fascination. That's unlike what happened later in um, the life of Western Australia, because we just covered that recently um, on Saturday Extra. There is a particular episode detailed in the Beagle's logbook, I know, that about the ship's first mate who was speared. And you've been to the site of that and you've tracked down descendants incredibly. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, it was an amazing trip. There, there is a place at uh, Port Keats where uh, the uh, second in command, uh, John Lott Stokes, was speared. And that the spearing and the survival of, of Stokes is, is written in great detail. And it was a story that he told until his death, that uh, he was standing at a place making chronometer measurements, which is what's needed for navigating. It took several days for these measurements to be made. He was travelling back and forth from the ship to the chronometer over a few days. And unbeknownst to him, he was being watched the whole time. And on the second or third day, he took a spear through the top of his shoulder and into his lung. But he survived. And he managed to, yeah, he got that spear out and there was a, a chase on. Uh, so he was he was chased across the mudflats and back to the ship. There was a, a brief standoff at the ship and then eventually um, he, uh, he escaped and survived the infection on the ship afterwards and um, lived to tell that tale. Goodness. And amazingly, the, yeah, amazingly the jacket that he was wearing with the the spear hole in it is still in existence in the Greenwich Maritime Museum in the UK. <laughs> well, well. Um, <laughs> so you've uh, you found one anchor, John, just to sort of uh, bring this to a, a conclusion, and you're trying to get funding to go back and find the second one. I, I wonder what condition you, you expect them to be in, and there are also quite a lot of rules around this sort of thing. So, you know, how are you placed? Yeah, exactly. So the, the river doesn't give up its secrets easily. We actually found one of the anchors really on the in the last hour of the last day that we were surveying, and we were there for four days of very, very hard work, very dangerous work surveying the, the river. Um, it's the smaller anchor. The second larger anchor is still there, uh, probably just uh, 100 metres from the first, and it evades us. And it was a bit of a mystery as to why we couldn't locate it at the time. And uh, on the second expedition, we took uh, some other technology, uh, multi-beam uh, technology, which gives us a, a topographic image of the seafloor. And the hydrographers on board measured these, uh, what we saw were very large gravel bars that were migrating across the seafloor of the river, and uh, which is undoubtedly the reason for the loss of the anchors. So we've solved the mystery. The anchors were buried during the month that they were anchored. What do you mean by a gravel um, bar? Yeah, so these fingers of 
gravel material, sometimes four or five metres high, are marching across the seabed with every turn of the tide. So it's a very unusual situation. And look, I haven't asked you, I mean, was it a terrible thing to lose an anchor? How many anchors would the Beagle have had? It it was a big deal. You could be court-martialed for uh, carelessly losing anchors. So the crew were very quick to record that the anchors were lost, not due to the crew's fault, but due to natural factors in the river. So that was that's very well recorded in the logs. Um, but they did have spare anchors, but not many, and they were precious objects that were desperately needed for safety and for continuing on in their journey. So it was a big deal, and uh, we're hopeful that they're in pretty good condition and can be recovered easily. But the timber beam on the bigger anchor is probably gone. But we can see from the side scan image that the uh, the smaller bower anchor is in good shape. It's holding it the same shape that it was made. So we're hopeful that it can be easily brought up. Okay, John, well, look, good luck. <laughs> we'll no doubt hear if you are successful. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Geraldine. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.